0: well if you are new here if we haven't met yet my name is chris i'm one of the pastors here uh, welcome to those of you who are here in the house with us this morning as well as to those of you who may be joining us uh, online as well I, I don't know about for you but for me it's it's finally starting to feel like christmas so we're, we're getting we're getting close and um for for me and my family had three three christmas parties this week so we've had two so far We've got a, a community group uh, Christmas party that we're going to tonight, and I'm looking forward to that. And so I feel like we're finally getting fully immersed in the, in the Christmas spirit, and so getting excited about that. Um, and, and, you know, it's uh, right around the corner now. It's the 15th, and so uh, if you've been here, you know, one of the things that we've really been talking about and pushing is uh, our Christmas Eve candlelight services. So we're going to have those at 4 p.m., 6 p.m., uh, identical services right here. And so again, if you're part of our, our faith family here at New Life, uh, as we've been talking about for the last four or five weeks, man, be thinking about, you've got to, another week and a half, be thinking about, man, who who is far from God in my life? Uh, maybe who's in my life that, that's been wounded, has had maybe a bad experience in church, somebody that could benefit from coming to a warm, safe place uh, like this where they can hear a warm, uh, safe message about God's love for them demonstrated through the life of Jesus Christ. And so, again, just be thinking about, man, who, who am I bringing with me Christmas Eve? It's going to be a really great time uh, as we uh, celebrate together. And this morning, we're back in our uh, Parables of Jesus uh, sermon series. And uh, what I'd like to do is just begin our time this morning by asking you a very simple question. And the question is this, what, what is, kind of thinking back, what is the best meal you've ever eaten in your entire life? So just think back, maybe give yourself five or 10 seconds and just think about the most incredible, satisfying, phenomenal meal you've ever experienced. All right, do you, you kind of have it lock, locked in your brain now? For me, I have, I have several that uh, meals that I've experienced over the course of my lifetime that I'm just, I'm never going to forget. Uh, one of them was uh, on, our, on our wedding day. So we, we got married and we had the little reception afterwards and we got changed out of all of our gear and we went and we ate at Joe's Crab Shack. Now, I'm not sure why we chose Joe's Crab Shack of all places on Tunnel Road. It's now closed down. It doesn't exist. Apparently, it wasn't very good. Uh, but that, So that's where we went, man. And I remember just sitting across uh, the table from my bride in Joe's Crab Shack uh, holding her hand, you know, I was just like gazing into my new bride's eyes, and she was so beautiful as we were sitting there just chowing down on some coconut shrimp. And, uh, man, that was, just, you know, it was a memorable meal, and I, I will always remember that meal. Um, just last week, we celebrated uh, our 16th wedding anniversary, and uh, so we went, yeah, thanks. Yes, that's, that's, that's more for uh, God's grace and Cheryl's faithfulness to me <laughs> over all this time, but um, so we went to uh, a nice little kind of fancy place down in the, the river arts district that, that we that we heard about and uh, so we're, we're in this place and uh, and I ordered the the fillet and uh, that that thing came out and it was cooked to perfection I mean I'm talking drizzled in some French madeira sauce I'm talking a farm to table spinach salad with spicy Asian cut potatoes on the side. I'm just telling you guys, it was a spiritual experience. (laughs) Worship took place at that table. It was incredible as that fillet just melted in my my mouth. Now, personally, I'm I'm not sure how you can eat a meal like that and not believe that a God exists and that he's good. Yeah, I mean, it's just like that's proof to me of the existence of God. But most of us, have had experiences like that, right? And maybe for you, it was a, a special birthday party or a, a memorable anniversary celebration, or perhaps your parents used to do, you know, a big 4th of July thing you can remember as a kid, and that was super awesome for you. But we, we just, we love events like these, don't we? And we love meals like these. And I think it's partially because we were created by our Creator for moments like these. In fact, when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it's amazing how often we see him eating and drinking with other people. In fact, his his critics accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Of course, neither of which was true, but they accused him of this because he was so frequently eating meals and sharing meals with people. Feasting was a part of his, uh, his ministry it was just kind of a core tenet of what Jesus was about. And this is, by the way, a theme that we see all throughout the pages of scripture. So you can go back all the way to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, right, and, and God gives the first human beings ever access to a, a feast of food. He says, guys, you, you can eat from anything. All these trees with all this amazing food and all this amazing fruit, you can eat of all of it, just not, not that, that one tree. And we can kind of trace that, that theme all the way through the book of Revelation to Revelation chapter 19 and see the great marriage feast of the Lamb. And look, I, I say this often, but I'm going to keep saying it. But if you, if you think that following Jesus is a set of boring killjoy rules, you've got it all wrong. Man, you've got it all wrong. Because one day when Jesus comes back for his people, there's going to be a feast there's going to be there's going to be a party in the new heavens and the new earth, the likes of which we have never seen. A party to end all parties, and a feast to end all feasts, and it's it's going to be glorious. And I think the mistake that so many of us make, even uh, in the church world as Christians, is uh, we kind of have in our mind this picture of. Heaven and this picture of the coming kingdom of God. And we kinda of have it in our mind that it's gonna be like one really long worship song. So like 10 billion years in, they're like, okay, verse two now. We're gonna start verse two. We're gonna do that for another 300 trillion years, right? And if you're like me, look, I love, I love to sing. I love, I love our time, especially here worshiping on Sunday morning. I think we have the best worship team around, and I really do enjoy it. Yeah, Yeah, we have a great worship team. But for me, the thought of singing for 10 billion years nonstop, that sounds more like hell than heaven, right? To, for, for me personally. Or for you, maybe you have this picture in your mind, man, heaven, uh, the new kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth, man, that's going to be, we're going to be floating around on clouds wearing diapers, playing if harps. If and that, if that's your view of heaven, of course you're not excited about it. <laughs> like that sounds horrible. I would rather have a root canal than float around in a diaper forever. That's, that's terrible. But Jesus paints a different picture of the coming kingdom of God for us, and I think it's a very compelling picture. Now, our parable uh, this morning is commonly known as the the parable of the great banquet or the great feast. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up, turn it on your device, and head for Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, that's where we're going to drop anchor uh, together this morning. And I want to start in verse 1 just to give us a little context for the parable that comes later in the chapter. Verse 1, written for us by a, a Greek doctor who became a follower of Jesus, and this is what he says. One Sabbath, when he, that is Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And so Jesus is eating with people, again, nothing new about that. Uh, We see all throughout his ministry that Jesus is highly relational, and I don't think there's anything more relational than sharing a good meal with somebody else. But this time, he's at a party or he's at a feast hosted by this big-shot religious guy, this big-shot kind of Pharisee. And all the Pharisees that are at this party, Luke tells us, they're kind of eyeballing Jesus. So they're keeping a close eye on him, and we find out later on that's because they're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to do something or say something where they can, they can kind of pin on him because they didn't, they didn't like him. And Luke tells us there's actually a guy there who's got, he's got a disease. Now, we don't know if he's inside the party, if he's outside the gate or whatever it is, but there's this dude there uh, with a the disease. Personally, I, I think maybe the Pharisees uh, planted this sick guy there to try to try to get Jesus. And so the thought is, man, is, is Jesus going to heal this sick guy on, on the Sabbath day? Because if he does heal him on the Sabbath, man, then we can accuse him of of breaking Sabbath rest laws. Well, of course, Jesus, being God wrapped in human flesh, he, he knows their game, right? So he goes to the, heal, the, the, the sick guy and he, and he heals him anyway. And then he looks back at the Pharisees and he goes, hey, listen, which, which of you guys, if you had even an ox or your son fell into a ditch on the Sabbath day, wouldn't pull him out immediately? So he, he kind of flips the script. He turns the question around on them and there's just crickets. They're, they're not about to step into that landmine. They, they know that they've been had. And so they're, they're stumped. And then Jesus begins to call out the guests that are coming into the party. Right? So picture this. They're coming in. All these religious guys, they'd be wealthy. And they're coming into this party that this other really kind of ruler of the Pharisees, really powerful guys invited them to. And Jesus is going, look, I, I see what you guys are doing. I see exactly what you guys are doing. You're coming in here, and you're trying to maneuver your way into the best seats, the seats of honor, because you want to be seen. You want to be first. But I'm telling you, that's not how my kingdom, that's not how the kingdom of God works. Now, can you imagine he's calling out the party guest as they come into the party? Now, where I come from, that's a bit of a party foul. And so then he starts telling them the story of a a wedding feast. And he basically says to them, hey, look, when you get invited to a party, don't go sit in the seat of high honor. Because then when somebody who's more important than you comes in, the host of the party is going to ask you to move. And then you're going to be shamed. You're going to be embarrassed. Jesus goes, instead, when you go to a party, sit in the seat of least honor. And then the host of the party will invite you to a seat of more honor. And then you will feel honored. And then Jesus goes, Jesus goes, whoever exalts himself in this life will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So now that Jesus has offended all of the party guests, he turns to the host of the party and he says, Hey, hey, guy, I got something for you too. You're, you're not off the hook either, pal. Look at, look at verse 12. He turns to the, the host of the party. And he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, Jesus is not saying here that we should never hang out with our family or our friends. Jesus is specifically addressing a common practice of that day among the Pharisees. And what these guys would do is they would intentionally invite Other wealthy, powerful people to their parties that could return the favor. Don't miss this. Jesus is chastising now the host of the party. Now, I'm just guessing Jesus probably didn't get invited to the next party this dude threw. He probably didn't get invited back. Because what he essentially just did is he looked at the host of the party and said, Hey, guy, this is your party. I want you to look around. Look around at your party. Where are all the single moms? Where are all the widows at your party? Where are all the drug addicts? Where are the prostitutes? Where where are the people that cannot repay you? Hey, guy, these people look just like you. They're all rich. They're all religious people. And they're going to invite you to their next lavish, epic party. But that was your plan all along, wasn't it? So you don't you don't get it yet, religious big shot man. Because in my kingdom, you don't love people to get repaid in this life. You love people who cannot repay you and then I repay you at the resurrection of the just. And Jesus is just obliterating their idea of who God is and what God's kingdom looks like. Because see, as followers of Jesus, we are living for another kingdom and we are serving a better king. And so our lives should look different. Our parties should look different. Our churches should look different than the world around us. And at this point of maximum awkwardness, when Jesus has now offended all the party guests and the host, one of the guys at the table, one of the Pharisees pipes up. Look at uh, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, I think what this guy is trying to do is he's, try, he's trying to make a really awkward situation less uncomfortable for everybody. And that's, that's pretty admirable, right? He's, this is the guy, we all have friends like this, when things get tense, in a conversation among friends or maybe at the dinner table around Christmas with your extended family and things get tense. And some, of the, He's the guy that just kind of blurts out the first spiritual thing that comes to mind. Jesus. <laughs> she, Jesus is always the right answer, right? Jesus loves the, all the little children. He loves all the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are so very precious in his sight. You know, he's just, he's throwing out anything just to cut the tension. Or he's like, hey, how about them panthers, baby? You see those panthers last night? And th- that's this guy. He's just trying to cut the tension. It's admirable what he's trying to do. It's kind of, kind of cute. But he's making a fundamentally flawed assumption. See, because he's assuming that he, along with everybody else at this party, that they're going to the great heavenly feast. And Jesus is having none of it. Jesus wants them to sit in the furnace of conviction. Not not because Jesus is mean, but because Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, Jesus is always after our hearts. And most of the time, in order to get to our hearts, that requires some level of discomfort. Have you noticed that? And Jesus is not afraid to go there, and so he goes there. And this is a warning to us all that being somewhat religious or being somewhat spiritual in your life or using some of the right language or doing some of the right things, listen, that doesn't mean that you're on the way to the right party. You may actually be heading in the opposite direction. And so now that Jesus has offended the whole party, guests and hosts alike, he now kind of starts telling them the parable of the great feast. Let's jump into that, beginning in verse 16. But he said to him, a man... Now, there's a, there's a parallel account of this parable in Matthew chapter 22. And in that parallel account, we learn that this man that Jesus is going to tell us about is actually a great king, okay? So Jesus says, a man, a great king, once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So we have a great king who's throwing a great banquet. It's going to be this epic party, a party to end all parties. And Jesus says that this great king sends out his servant to tell the invited guest that the party is ready. So the servant goes out and he's telling everybody, hey, listen, this is going to be an incredible party. The king has got everything ready. It's time. Come, come on into the party. And in this story, Jesus is that great king, and he has invited us into the great feast. But something really strange begins to happen in this parable. As these people are invited to the most epic party of their lifetimes, they all begin to make really strange, awkward, super lame excuses for why they can't come. Let's pick up in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Now, let's let's pause there. Our our guy here in verse 18 gets invited to the most epic party feast ever. We're talking world-class food and drink, the best entertainment in the world, the king's servant comes to him, and he says, listen, man, the, the party is starting, man. It's going to be incredible. The best chefs in the world, the best musicians and bands in the world. Why don't you come, man? It's time to come. And the first guy's like, no, oh, man, I can't. I can't come. The servant's like, what are, you, are you kidding me? What, what do you mean you can't come? I bought a field. I bought some land. I got, I got to go lay eyes on it. What are, you, what are you talking about? This is the most incredible feast. This is, people are going to be writing news articles about this for the next century. What are you talking about? Uh, I bought this field, man. I got to go, go look at it, which is absolutely moronic. Like in those days, especially, you would never buy a piece of land without laying eyes on it. But even if you did something moronic like that, you could always go lay eyes on it after the most legendary party ever. So, this is a lame excuse. Guy's like, Bought some land. I can't come to the best party ever. This is lame. Now, look at the second guy in verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. So, this genius gets invited to the party of all parties. Hey, you want to come to the king's party? It's going to be epic. Can't. Why? I just bought some cows you are at home, man. I gotta go make sure they don't have any fleas or anything like that. Are you kidding me? This is the most epic party ever. And you gotta go check your cows for fleas? What's wrong with you? This is another lame excuse. Now, there's a, there's a third guy in verse 20. It says, and another said, I have, I have married a wife, and therefore, I cannot come. This is the first guy... That's got a semi-legitimate excuse. Am I right, man? (laughs) This (laughs) is the first guy that's got a legit excuse, right? Our guy said, hey, hey, come on. The party's about to start. It's going to be epic. Best steaks, best food, everything. Best music. Why don't you come? I can't come. Why? I just got married, bro. I got a wife. I can't. I can't I can't come to the party. Well, why can't you come to the I got dishes to wash, bro. <laughs> I'm married now. Remember? I got I got a glass shower curtain I got to tear out and put. He's got black mold. I got I got I'm married, man. Ain't nobody got time for a party. I got a wife now. <laughs> I love this. Now there's there's so much more I could say here that would get me in trouble later, so I'm not I'm not even going to go there. But I don't care who you are. That's funny. <laughs> I have a wife. I can't come to the party. Now, the The truth is, the reality is, I'm guessing this guy's wife would be really ticked off if she found out that her husband could have taken her to the most epic party of their lifetime with the best food and the best music and the best entertainment. Like, what wife wouldn't love that? Like, I know my wife would love that. So really, at the end of the day, it's also another lame excuse. Now, don't miss this, even among the the humor that Jesus gives us here. Jesus is, he's teaching us something about the foolishness of excuses, right? Now, we we laugh at this, but he's teaching us how foolish our excuses really are. So my question for you is, what, what excuses are you making right now? What excuses are you making in your life right now in order not to do in God's kingdom what he's asked you to do? And we hear these excuses all the time, don't we? I've been guilty of these excuses. You probably have been as well. Hey, come to church with me on Sunday. No, I can't, man. I, that's the day that I sleep in. I can't come on Sunday morning, man. That, that's the day that I catch up on yard work. Oh, come to, come to, come to small group with me on Tuesday night. Man, I can't, I can't do that. CSI Miami, man, Tuesday night. Walking Dead, some other goofy show. Well, listen, why, 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 don't you, why don't you take a mission trip with us, man? We're going to this unreached people group. They never even heard about, about Jesus, and we're going to go there, and we're going to dig them some wells and give them food and all this stuff that's really going to help them. And then we're going to give them hope in this life, and the next we're going to tell them the good news about Jesus. I can't, man. I don't have any money. What are you, what are you th- You've been to Disney World like 17 times since I met you last year. What are you talking about? Well, that's why I don't have any money, man. I've been to Disney World 17 times in the last two years. Me and Mickey are tight, man. I can't, I don't have money to go on a mission trip. Just foolishness. Come to the party. Oh, man, I, I can't, man. I gotta go change the oil in my truck. We're just as guilty at times. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, listen, be careful. Be careful that you don't excuse your way out of the kingdom of God. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Comes back, he's like, man, none of them are gonna come. They they got the dumbest excuses you've ever heard of. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now, I, I love this. The king goes, invite everybody in then. Go invite all the people that nobody values. Invite in the poor, and the crippled, and the blind, and the prostitute, and the drug addict, and the leper. Bring them all in. The good king invites generously. Now, if you're, if you're here and you're, you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to know that I'm glad that you're here. And I think that this is a good story for you to hear this morning. And I hope that you can see that the king that we worship here, King Jesus, is a good king and he is a generous king and he is inviting you into his great feast. Will you accept his invitation? I I hope that you will. Verse 22. And the servant said, Sir... What you commanded has been done, and still there is room. So the servant's like, listen, we, we went out outside of your palace, and we brought in everybody we could find, man, everybody, the homeless people, the sick, the lepers, they're all inside, and guess what? There's still plenty of room. Now, I, I love that, and I, I want you to hear that as well this morning, friend. King Jesus is telling you there's still room at the table. There, there, there is still, there is yet room for you at his feasting table. That's beautiful, verse 23. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges, and I love this wording, and compel them. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Church, listen to me. Jesus wants a full house. Jesus wants a full banquet, he wants a full party. And so he commands his servants, to go out to the highways and the byways and compel, persuade people to come in. Now, this is this is huge, Christian. Our role, our mandate from our king is to go out and to compel others to join us at the great feast one day. So let me just ask you: how are you doing with that, Christian? How are you doing with that in your life right now? And let let me just let me just encourage you, let me just remind you. We are not inviting people to a lame party. Now, I think for, for some of us, well, man, we, we need to stop acting like we're inviting people to a funeral and then being surprised when they turn us down. Right, like, hey, you want to you wanna come to this, this thing? Man, it's probably pretty boring, you know, depressing. People wearing black, crying a lot. You want to come to that? No? Well, why not? Why don't you want to come to that? Listen, guys, we we are not inviting people to a funeral. We are inviting people to an epic feast, the most epic party in the history of the universe. Let me show you. Let me just give you a glimpse of that uh, in the book of Isaiah. This will be on the screens for you. Uh, Isaiah 25. This is the prophet Isaiah writing about that day, that great and final feast. Verse 6 says this. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach or the shame of his people will be taken away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Now that's a pretty good party, no? That's a pretty good party. The Lord of hosts will prepare for all the peoples who belong to him a feast of rich food and drink. Now, I know some of y'all are good cooks because I've eaten some of your cooking. Some of you guys have a lot of skill. But listen to me. I think we can all agree on your best day, you've never cooked a meal like the Lord of hosts. All right? On your best day, you ain't never cooked a meal like the Lord of hosts. And not only that, at this feast, Isaiah says, the great king, Jesus, is going to wipe out death forever. And he's going to wipe away all tears, and he's going to remove our shame. Like, I want an invite to that party. I don't want to miss that party. And I want to invite other people to come to that party with me. Listen, we are not going to a funeral, friends. We are going to a feast. It's time some of us get excited about it. And Jesus finishes up this parable in verse 24, and he says this, For I tell you, now remember, he's looking at all these Pharisees, right, that he's just called out. He says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. He's talking to them. As if Jesus hasn't already offended everyone in this party enough just to make sure they got the point. And he goes, hey, look, I'm looking at all y'all right in your eyeballs. I'm talking to you. You've been invited, but I want you to know you're not going to be there. Because you've got excuses like nobody's business, but that's all you got. You're not living for the great king and you're not living for his better kingdom. Your life is actually all about you. Your life is all about you. And so your reward will be on this earth. Now that's pretty chilling, I'd say. And Jesus isn't pulling any punches with these guys and Jesus isn't pulling any punches with us this morning. And again, it's not because he's mean, it's because he loves us enough to make us consider the important things in life. And there's nothing more important than this. So let me give you a few uh, practical applications for us to together consider from this parable that Jesus has uh, given us, and then we'll be done. So here's number one. I think if, if Jesus were right here on this stage this morning, I think he'd say to us this. Number one, make sure you're going to the right party. Make sure you're going to the right party. See these, these Pharisees in Luke 14 they they sure thought they were on their way to the right party but Jesus shatters their idea of who God is and what God's kingdom looks like. Jesus is like listen y'all y'all are all heading in that direction but I'm telling you the great banquet the great feast is a, it's over there. You're going the wrong way, bro. You're going the wrong way. Head that way. And I think there are a lot of people today that think they're on the right path to the right party when they're actually on a path that's gonna lead them to destruction in this life and the life to come. And that is a real shame because it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way for you. The good king has invited you to the great feast. Friend, make sure you're on your way to the right party. Application number two. Jesus's kingdom is built in extraordinarily ordinary ways. Now, if you're anything like me, and maybe this is just my problem, I had this thought growing up as a kid or as a teenager, but I think a lot of us tend to have this thought that to build God's kingdom, man, you've got to like sell everything that you have and move to the heart of Africa to be a missionary. Or you've got to you've got to go to seminary to become the next Billy Graham or the next Jen Wilkin and travel the world speaking to thousands of people and listen maybe maybe God will call some of us to those types of things and praise God when He does but don't don't miss the simplicity of what Jesus is modeling for us here in this parable Jesus is saying look eat with people it's not rocket science eat with people hang out with people. Have people over for dinner. Host a Super Bowl party in your neighborhood. Just do life with people who are far from God. That's what Jesus did. Did he not? I mean, he ate with tax collectors and sinners and the prostitutes and all those people. But he also ate with the Pharisees and the religious legalists because they both needed to enter into the kingdom of God and they were both far from God. So Jesus is just, he's always with people. And it's usually over a meal, which is one reason why I love Jesus even more. Usually over a meal. Just ordinary moments that God uses in extraordinary ways in his kingdom. So, believer, don't, don't fall prey to this idea that if you're not a missionary or you're not a, a famous speaker on the Christian circuit, that you can't do anything in God's kingdom. So, uh, I man, I guess I'll just go to church and I'll, I'll sit there and I guess that's all I can do in God's kingdom. No. No you live and you love with great intentionality you leverage ordinary moments every single day in your life for the kingdom of jesus so how how are you doing with that friend how are you doing just leveraging everyday life and everyday moments for the kingdom of god when's the last time you had a neighbor over for dinner when's the last time you had a, a coworker over for a cookout Students, when's the last time that you just hung out with that classmate in your school that nobody really likes? The kingdom of Jesus is built one ordinary act at a time. One meal at a time, one coffee date at a time, one cookout at a time, one party at a time. You can do it. You have everything it takes to be a kingdom builder in God's kingdom, but you do have to be intentional about it. Third application from this parable of Jesus. Number three, invite outsiders into the great feast. Now, don't miss the practical implications of this parable. The great king sent his servants out to the highways and the hedges to invite everyone in to this great feast. So, for those of us who belong to the great king, Jesus... He has sent us out to invite others in. And so in a real way, in a real sense, our life should just be all about, and I'm not talking about like a weird way, but just like, hey guys, listen, the, the party's ready. The king is throwing a party and it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be epic and he loves you and he has invited you to come to his party and I want you to come. Will you come with me to the king's great party? And I just wanna say, Christian, we should be living invitational lives we should be inviting people in on almost every single level of our lives man we should be inviting people to coffee we should be inviting people into our home for dinners and cookouts we should be inviting them into our small groups we should be inviting them to our worship services on sunday morning man we we should be living intentional lives because we have been redeemed by an invitational king who has invited us into His kingdom. And so now he sends us out with the best invitation to the best party in the history of the world. And so, believer, let's let's invite people to come and to sit at the great king's table with us. And application number four kind of goes right along with that. Number four, leverage cultural seasons for kingdom purposes. Now, in those days, people commonly through feasts or parties, especially at certain times of the year. So, harvest time, particular holidays. Uh, These people would have been used to uh, inviting and receiving invitations to different feasts and parties certain times of the year. So, our question for us is, man, how how do we take what we're seeing modeled by Jesus and apply that to Asheville in 2019-2020? How can we make this come alive in our culture? And so maybe for you it's something as simple as looking around your, your classmates, your friends, your, the people that you work with, your neighborhood, and maybe people that are just around your life and your circle of influence. Maybe, who knows, they're, they're big uh, college basketball fans or something like that. And so maybe for you that means, hey, you're going to throw a Final Four uh, party right around March time. You're just going to invite everybody over and you're going to give them just a, just a glimpse, just a snapshot into the great kingdom and the great feast that we're on our way to. And in our culture, in America, Christmas, as we've talked about, is also one of those seasons, right? There's just, for whatever reason, there's this heightened openness to spiritual things. People who would typically never come to church with you will come to church with you around Christmas time if you will just invite them. So my question for you is, Christian, are you leveraging the natural rhythms in our culture for the kingdom of Jesus? Who are you inviting with you to our Christmas Eve candlelight services? Who are, you, who are you going to bring with you? We have, we have a week and a half. So if you're a part of our faith family here at New Life, here's my challenge for you. Think of one person that you can bring with you to the candlelight service, 4, 4 p.m. Or, or 6 p.m. Who in your life is far from God and needs to hear about his love? And who are you going to bring with you? Listen, invite people to the party. Compel them to come as Jesus says and leverage the natural rhythms in our culture to do it. I want to invite you just to to bow your heads with me for a moment as we consider a couple of things, then we'll pray and we'll sing. Jesus, in this parable, has painted for us an incredible picture of what awaits those of us who love him at his great feast. And listen, it's not gonna be a boring 10 billion year song. And it's not gonna be us floating around on clouds wearing diapers. It's gonna be an incredible feast with a new heaven and a new earth with the best foods. And Jesus himself is gonna be there with us and we're gonna have brand new bodies and there's gonna be no death and there's gonna be no sickness and Jesus is gonna wipe away every single tear. That's the party we're going to, Christian. Let's get excited about it. And let's also realize that we were once the the poor, the blind, the beggar, the crippled, the leper, that the great king invited into his feast. That's who we were. And so now we can sympathize with those in our lives who are far from God because we once were them. And it is only by the grace of our great king that we aren't still there at this very moment. So for those of us who have received grace, we are now sent out with the message of grace. Come to the king's feast. The table is set. He loves you. He invites you in. Will you come with me? To the best feast with the best food, the best king. Now, well, maybe for some of you, maybe this message is the King's invitation to you. So, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that He's inviting you in. Right now, this morning, He's inviting you in to His kingdom and His feast one day. And if that's you, will you really walk away from this invite? Will you really make lame excuses? like the guys in the story that Jesus told. What lame excuse are you using right now? Listen friend, don't don't turn your back on this invitation from the great king, that would be foolish. So two two questions that I want you to consider and then I'm, I'm gonna pray. The first one is this, are you going to the feast? Are you going to the feast? there's a lot of people in Jesus' day our day as well think they're going to the feast that are actually heading in the wrong direction so are you going to the feast and if the answer is yes you're going to the feast the second question is this who are you inviting to come to the feast with you because the great king has sent you out to the highways and the hedges to compel people to come into his feast are you doing that are you going to the feast who you bring in with you because at the end of the day when we see Jesus face to face in the new heavens and the new earth at that great feast at that party to end all parties on that day nothing else will matter friend listen to me on that day you're not going to be worried about your job you're not going to be worried about your bank account You're not going to be worried about some relational tension in your life. You're not going to be worried about anything else that you're worried about right now in this moment. The only thing that will matter on that great and final day will be, are you going to the feast, and who did you invite to come along with you? And it's through the life, death, and resurrection of the greatest king that we are invited in and we are sent out to invite others in. So let's make sure that we're answering both of those questions well for our greatest good and also for the highest glory of our King. Let's pray. God in heaven, would you, in your grace, in your mercy, would you give us eyes to see clearly? Would you give us ears to hear clearly, God? Help us perceive rightly about the path that we're actually on in life. God, help us. Help us not be like the Pharisees at this party in Luke 14 who were deceived, God. And it's so easy, God. So if there are those in here, in this room right now who are deceived, who think they're on the right path to the right party when they're actually heading in the wrong direction, God, would you just lift that veil from our minds, from our eyes, give us spiritual eyes to see the truth of our condition and how we stand before you in this very moment, God. Don't let us leave here deceived. God, show us. Show us that life is only found in knowing Jesus. And Father, for those of us who have already been redeemed by the King, God, would you you help us get excited about the feast that we're heading for, God? Help us realize we're not inviting people to some lame party or a funeral. We're inviting people to the most epic party, most epic feast this world this universe has ever known, God. And help us be about the business of inviting other people people to the great feast of our great King. God, help us not to waste our lives on things that are not going to matter a hundred years from now. God, help us live our lives for what matters most in your kingdom. And we ask it all in the name of our great King, the name of Jesus. Amen.